and welcome to the final episode of the Women in the Word at Uni podcast for 2018. My name's Rachel and I'll be opening the word with you today. After this week's podcast, I'm going to be taking a break to prepare to welcome a new little person into the world in January. But it's my prayer that God continues to keep you growing in him through his word. Today we'll be completing our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll see the final conclusions that the main voice in the book, the teacher, reaches as he examines what it looks like to live a wise life. Well, how do you fold your towels? When you hang up a t-shirt to dry, do you peg it from the bottom or the top? Which way around do you place a roll of toilet paper on its hanger? Do you put the flap towards the front or the flap towards the back? Should dishes be hand rinsed before going into the dishwasher or not? Should pillowcases be ironed or not? Is it best to butter toast immediately after it comes out of the toaster or after it's cooled a little bit? These may all seem like fairly unimportant questions, but if you've ever shared a house with someone, especially someone who's not from your immediate family, you may well have found that they are far from trivial. You see, for a lot of us, we have our own way of doing these things. And what might seem like personal preference can, when challenged by someone else doing it a different way, come to feel like a matter of right and wrong. Just you try turning the toilet roll around to the opposite of how it normally sits in your house and see how long it lasts. See how long it takes before your little experiment begins to feel like an act of household treason. We can hold our preferences extremely dearly, so much so that they can really feel like matters of right and wrong. Now, we might be able to look at these examples and say that, of course, they're not moral issues. Of course, there's no absolute right or wrong way of doing them. You want to take the time to iron your pillowcases? Well, you go right ahead. You like your toast buttered immediately once it comes out of the toaster? Go for it. But I'm going to let mine cool. What about deeper issues, though? What about ethical issues? What about decisions of religious belief and the afterlife? What about decisions about sexuality and gender? Are there any rights and wrongs? Or are all of these things also matters of personal preference? Is there such a thing as absolute truth, a truth that should apply to all people? In other words, is there a universally right way to live? Well, as we come to the concluding chapters of Ecclesiastes, we find that they're a really good place for us to explore this question. So come with me and let's see what the teacher has to say. Let's read from the Bible, from the book of Ecclesiastes, reading chapter 10, verses 1 to 20 to begin with. Now, if you can have it open in front of you, either in print or a digital version, that would be really great. So you can follow along as we read and as I talk about it. I'm reading from the New International Version. Ecclesiastes 10, verses 1 to 20. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offences to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. 
If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning their words are folly, at the end they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming, who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them, they do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth, and whose princes eat at a proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness the rafters sag, because of idle hands the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Now, I'm afraid that time doesn't permit us to explore every detail of this section right now, but in summary, we start to see some answers to our question. Is there a universally right way to live? And what we see here is a contrast between two possible ways to live, living with wisdom or with folly. Because what we also see is that the two tend to cohabit the same space. The wise live in a world of fools. Sometimes the wise are even living under the authority of fools. Verses 5 to 7. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Who do you want leading our country? Someone who's wise and will think carefully through every issue that comes before them? Or someone who lacks wisdom, who's foolish, who's going to shoot off poorly thought out responses? Who do you want as your boss at work? Someone who's going to make wise decisions that are in the best interests of everyone? Or someone who's foolish, not thinking ahead to what's good for employees or the future of the company? Who do you want as Vice-Chancellor of your uni? The person who looks at growing job opportunities and seeks to ensure that the university offers course places accordingly? Or someone who's only interested in making as much money for the uni as possible? There is a wise way to live and a foolish way to live. And the teacher here advocates the wise life. The trouble is it's not always the wise who are given the high positions. Fools are put in many high positions, we read in verse 6. And this might not just be our bosses or the people we elect to govern us. Whether we realise it or not, we give authority to anyone whose words we listen to and whose advice we readily take on board. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to wise people or foolish people? Now, of course, we're probably not going to describe them as fools or think of them as fools, otherwise we wouldn't pay so much attention to them. But the point is, just because someone is able to capture our attention doesn't mean that they're necessarily wise. Just because they might influence us doesn't mean they're the best person to do so. Who sways your opinion the most? When you have an essay due next week and you've still got a fair bit of work to do, who influences how you spend your time? Is it the lure of the next episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the fact that you know your friends will be talking about it tomorrow? Or is it your mum gently suggesting you might have spent enough time watching TV already today? Taking it deeper, who influences your views on sexuality and gender? Are your views shaped most by the Bible or by your friends or the wider culture? Because the Bible has some pretty countercultural things to say about sexuality and gender. What conclusions have you come to on this issue? Do they reflect what the Bible has to say or more of what your friends or classmates think? Who influences you the most? 
because the people who might be really great at capturing our attention aren't always the best people for us to listen to. So are you listening to wisdom or not? And you see, that can be a really big challenge for us if we're following Jesus. The challenge for us is to show discernment, to recognize that not every voice we hear is a voice of wisdom. Not every voice we hear pleases God. So don't take an idea or view on board just because it sounds plausible. Take it to the Bible. Put your Bible glasses on it and assess it through those lenses. Ask yourself, what does the Bible say on this issue? The answer might be uncomfortable. But should comfort be the determining factor in our decisions? Are you listening to wisdom or are you listening to folly? Back to our original question, is there a universally right way to live? Another way to ask that question might be to say, is what's right for you necessarily right for me? It also begs the question, who has the right to determine what right is? Who has the right to tell another person how to live? The problem we might see with suggesting that there is a universally right way to live is that that assumes someone has the power to determine what is right for someone else. But let me ask you, if that thought unsettles you, why does it? Why might it make us feel uncomfortable to think that there is a universal right? Whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to culture which says there is no universal right? Or the Bible that says there is? And of those, which is a better source of wisdom? Reread with me Ecclesiastes 10 verses 1 to 3. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. The wise path and the foolish one are very different, and in the end the path of folly will be shown for what it is. However, along the way, verse 1 tells us that a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. The words we hear and are most influenced by might not necessarily be the most wise ones. Read on with me verses 12 to 13. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning their words are folly, at the end they are wicked madness. In contrast to the foolish, what should characterise the wise person? Well, we read that their words are to be gracious. What might gracious words look like? What might it look like to respond with grace when we decide not to adopt the views of our friends or peers? It probably won't look like bursting out with our views and telling our friends straight out that they're wrong. But neither will it necessarily look like keeping quiet. A wise and gracious response might look like gently encouraging an open discussion with your friends, letting them know that you don't agree, but reassuring them of your love for them as people, even if you don't see eye to eye on every issue. Try to have a conversation about why they believe what they do and why you believe what you do. There is a wise way to speak and a foolish way. Seek to be one of the wise. Not only does the teacher tell us that there is a wise way to speak, he also tells us that there is a wise way to live. So let's explore what that might look like. Read with me Ecclesiastes 11 verses 1 to 8. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. 
Sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. In this section, the teacher reiterates a conclusion he reached in chapter 7 to 9, which we looked at last time. Life is full of uncertainty. Life is completely out of human control. There are things in nature which just happen outside of human influence. Rainfall, the direction in which a tree falls, and the movement of the wind, they're all out of human control. And even by careful observation, we can't manipulate or change them in verses 3 to 4. We can't understand all of God's ways in verse 5, and we don't know which of our plans will come to fruition and be successful in verse 6. What's more, the teacher tells us that we will face many dark days in verse 8, and in the same verse he reminds us of the brevity of life. Everything to come is meaningless, he says. This is a theme that runs through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, this theme of meaninglessness. But what we need to remember is that he's not using the word meaningless in the sense that life is pointless. Rather, he's using the word to remind us that life is fleeting, it's quickly passing, it's brief. Life is short, life is uncertain. So he gives us advice on how to live in light of this uncertainty and brevity. He tells us what a wise life looks like amidst uncertainty and brevity. Firstly, wisdom takes a long-term view of life. In 11 verse 1, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Some translations of the Bible translate this verse with reference to casting bread upon the waters. But either way, the sense is the same. Go ahead and make decisions, even if you don't see a return on them for some time. Invest in those things that are going to last. Don't just live for the here and now for immediate reward. Secondly, in verse 2, he encourages us to not put all our eggs in one basket, saying, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So invest diversely, not holding onto possessions too tightly, even though bad things might happen. Thirdly, don't try to control things that are out of our control. In verse 4, whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And finally, enjoy life and live it to the full, knowing that life is brief and dark times will come in verse 8. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Life is full of uncertainties, but there is a wise way to live in light of that. A better way to live. A wise way to live in light also of the certainties we can know in life. The certainty that there will be dark times, hard times in life, death at the end of life. Let's read Ecclesiastes 12 verses 1 to 8. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond trees blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Admittedly, this section has a whole lot of imagery, which on first reading might be pretty confusing to us. 
there are a few ways in which we could interpret it. Firstly, a lot of this imagery could allude to the aging process. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim in verse 3, could refer to teeth falling out and therefore ceasing to grind together and eyes ceasing to see properly as they dim with age. Alternatively, a lot of the imagery in this section could be apocalyptic or end times imagery, referring to times of great upheaval in the world, unnatural darkness, times when people won't want to go outside or even look through their windows for fear of what's happening. Either way, a key point remains. Dark times will come to us all. Death will come to us all. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless, says verse 8. Life is short. Life is brief. Life is not completely uncertain. Life brings it with it one certainty, and that is the certainty of death. So with this in mind, is there a more wise way to live? Well, we've seen so far that a wise life takes a long view, not just living for the here and now. A wise life invests in many things and doesn't hold positions too closely to do so. Thirdly, a wise life doesn't try to control what we can't control. And fourth, a wise life knows that dark days will come, so enjoys life now. Now, these are all good pieces of advice, but even if we apply them all, aren't we still tr left trying to make the most out of a fleeting brief life? Is that enough of a goal? And will that satisfy us? If we're just trying to enjoy life now for its own sake, why ask the question of whether or not there's a universal truth? What would be the point? Why not live each according to our own truth, our own framework of what's best for us? Why not? Well, let's look again at 12 verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Then again in 12.6, we're told to remember him. Remember God, keep him in mind. Let's read Ecclesiastes 11 verses 9 and 10. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. As we already saw in 11 verse 8, the teacher's advice is to enjoy life. Now particularly he advocates enjoying youth, but not in reckless abandon or hedonistic pursuit. In our first talk, we looked into the way that the teacher concluded that pursuing pleasure in and of itself is dissatisfying and meaningless. Rather, his advice here is to recognize that youthfulness is brief, and that's what he means when he describes youth and vigor as meaningless in verse 10. So enjoy them while you can. However, do so knowing that God will judge in verse 9. He sees what you do and he will judge it by his standards. The wise life does not live according to self-determined wisdom. The wise life lives according to God's wisdom, knowing that he will judge each of us according to his standards. So back to our original question, is there a universally right way to live? Well, yes, according to God there is. There is a standard of right and wrong to which he will hold each of us accountable. Read with me the closing verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is Ecclesiastes 12 verses 9 to 14. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Here we have a summary given not by the teacher himself, but by one who has considered the teacher's search for wisdom and come to a conclusion. And what does he conclude? Well, he concludes that the teacher was right in what he determined in his quest for wisdom. And here is the ultimate conclusion from considering all the teacher had to say. Let's read again verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Is there a universally right way to live? Yes, because God will judge each of our deeds and those that are not according to his commandments, his way of living, even the hidden things which we think no one sees, they will all be punished. There is a universal standard and let me say it is an extremely high one because you see this same God who will judge every deed, well, his standard is that he will accept nothing short of complete perfection. He is perfectly holy and he can tolerate nothing less. No matter how good of a life we think we're living, no matter how wise of a life we think we're living, if we're living it without reference to him, the Bible says that it's useless. Romans 3.10 says this, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Is there a universally right way to live? Yes. But then why bother if we're not going to be acceptable to God's standards anyway? We can't do it on our own. That truly is pointless. Trying to be acceptable to God and keep his standards on our own terms is truly meaningless. It is truly futile. But the good news in all of this is that God knows we can't do it. And that's why he sent Jesus. Jesus, his perfect son, who died to take the punishment we deserve upon himself. And if we put our trust in him, God will look at us and not see the things we've done that fall consistently short of his standard. He will look at us and see Jesus, perfect, sinless, who took our sins upon himself so that we might be forgiven. Romans 5 verses 6 to 8 says this, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here is the truly wise life. The truly wise life fears God. That's not a scared kind of fear. It's a standing in awe of him, recognizing that he is the one who will judge us for how we've lived this life. But that he is also the one who loves us enough to forgive us if we trust in his son Jesus and in his perfect sacrifice of himself on our behalf. The truly wise life seeks to live daily life through the filter of fear of God. Do you make decisions through the filter of fear of God or perhaps through the filter of fear of people? Who influences you the most? Are your decisions and beliefs influenced more by God or by your friends or by media? As we said earlier on in this talk, the Bible has some pretty countercultural things to say, particularly about sexuality, gender identity, ethics and morality. Do you fear God and stand in awe of him and respond according to his standards? Or do you fear your friends? Do you fear the possible backlash if you disagree with them? Now, of course, this has consequences. And you see, there's no guarantee that living this wise life will make life here and now more comfortable. In fact, if we take the example of responding to our friends, disagreeing with their views, we will probably find that the wise life as defined here in Ecclesiastes will make life fairly uncomfortable at times. 
it might cause tension in our relationships. The wise life might not always be a comfortable life. Naturally, we don't want to immediately ostracize ourselves from people we're friends with, people we love. And this is where we need to employ that gracious wisdom in the way we respond and disagree. So pray for wisdom in your speech. Ask God to help you show grace and love in the way you respond. But be discerning in what you take on board as your own views. Are the voices we might most want to let influence us because they're our friends, are they the most wise ones? Wisdom fears God most of all. And what we're seeing is that the wise life is for sure the better life because it is the life that is not concerned only with the here and now. It is the life that, by trusting Jesus for salvation, has a secure eternal future in heaven with him. The wise life here takes a long view of life, a view that lasts into eternity. An eternal view both for ourselves and for our friends, so that we will endeavor to show them the love and grace of God in all of our interactions, seeking that they too may know eternal life in him. As 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 to 15 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Is there a universally right way to live? Yes, there is. And by the love and kindness of God, it is a way that is open universally to anyone who will trust in and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus so that we don't have to face your judgment and the punishment for our decisions that deserve it. Thank you that we can truly live with a long-term view of life, such a long-term view that it stretches into eternity with the assurance of spending it with you in heaven. Help us live lives of faithfulness to you, fearing you above whatever other voices we hear. Help us to boldly, fearlessly fear you above those we might dearly want to listen to. Help us be gracious in our interactions, showing love and having such a long-term view for our friends that we would desire to see them know and trust Jesus for their salvation too. And help us to know with confidence that your ways are right and that whatever discomfort we might experience is a price worth paying for the sake of honouring you. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Women in the Word at Uni podcast this year. If you have any questions or comments on what you've heard today, please email me. My name's Rachel and my address is R-A-K-O-T-T-E-R-E-R at gmail.com.